Good morning and welcome again to Trinity Heights Virtual Service. Thanks for joining us this morning. It was really lovely to see so many of you up on the Great Hill in Central Park last Sunday. It was a great way to round off the most important day in the church's calendar. So thanks for joining us, those of you who could make it. It was just really nice to be in each other's presence as, as a group of us again. And don't worry if you didn't manage to make it to the Great Hill last Sunday, because hopefully we'll be doing much more of this in the coming weeks. Now, this morning, we are returning to our series, How to Ch Plant a Church again how to plant a church again uh, we took a break uh, for palm sunday and easter and now we're returning to our final couple of messages in this series so what we've been doing is we've been looking at really uh, bridge building we've been looking at how to build a bridge between our church and the surrounding predominant culture we've talked about building a bridge between ourselves so that we can be this very diverse group of people and yet utterly united in christ and so this morning, we're going to think about building a bridge between ourselves and the nations, between ourselves and the wider world. So I want to start by reading to you uh, the call of Abram. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless you, those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You can just imagine Abraham's, re Abraham's response. Leave? What do you mean leave? This, this is my country. Leave your country. But wait, these, these are my people, leave your people. But this is my father's, leave your father's household, and I will make you a great nation, and I will make you a blessing to the nations. Um, okay, but I, I don't really care about the nations. But God says, I will make you a blessing to the nations, and all nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And so the story of God's rescue of humanity begins precisely by calling Abraham out of his own parochialism, out of his provincialism, out of his monoculturalism, out of his tribalism, to look away from himself, to look up and away from himself to the nations. Later on, the prophets come, and they continue to remind Israel of this global vision. For example, looking forward to the Messiah, the prophet Isaiah says, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout out or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth in his teaching the islands will put their hope and as a descendant of abraham and in the line of the prophets jesus commissions his disciples and he says therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that i have commanded wait disciples of all nations 
teach them to obey all he has commanded. How imperialistic. You've gone from bless the nations with Abraham to justice for the nations with the prophet Isaiah to convert the nations to your religion, to your belief system, imperialism. But, but wait, Jesus was, let's just think about this. Jesus spoke as someone who was under the rule of imperial Rome. In, in other words, he speaks not as an imperialist, but as the victim of Roman imperialism. And the commands which Jesus wants his disciples to teach the world are commands not only on how to treat their fellow countrymen, but specifically how to deal with the imperialist occupation forces that they themselves were living under. If you, if you go and read Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, you'll find he says things like, love your enemies, pray for those who willfully use you, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, Give, give to those who ask, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. Whoever wants to be first must be last. Whoever wants to be great amongst you must be the servant of all. Wow, what an imperialist. Can, can you imagine if the nations obeyed these specific commands? Jesus is telling them, this is actually how you should respond to violent imperialism in this world. Jesus teaching among other things, it is a sort of an instruction manual, a, a, a handbook, if you like. And the title on the front cover says, how to overcome imperialism, or, or perhaps it says, what to do when you're under the imperialist Roman occupation. Jesus' command to make disciples of all nations is not different to the call of Abraham to become a blessing to the nations. It's not different to the prophet's vision to establish justice for the nations, it is in fact the continuation and the fulfillment of Abraham's call and the prophet's vision. These commands are about Jesus' disciples becoming a blessing to the nations, about Jesus' disciples establishing justice for the nations in anticipation of the kingdom that is to come. And then we get to the book of Revelation, where John shares this vision. And we're given this, this incredible scene. John says, after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they crowd out, cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's interesting, isn't it, that in this vision, John can still see that there are different nations, different tribes, different people, different languages. The cultural distinctions are still there so that he can differentiate between them. But they're together and they're at peace. And they're united. And so this vision coming right at the end of the Bible, a vision is really a vision of where everything is heading. This is the destiny toward which you and I are being drawn, toward God and toward each other. From Genesis through Revelation, there is this vision of a blessing to the nations, justice for the nations, discipling all nations, bringing the nations together together and uniting them in worship.
So we are called as the church to have a global vision, to be concerned for the welfare of other nations, a desire to be a blessing to the nations, a desire to see justice established for the nations. But I think we need to acknowledge how odd this way of looking at the world really is. It's not normal. This sort of vision in every generation and in every culture is confronted by, by very powerful historical and cultural currents and forces, which actually keep people from sort of seeing beyond their own borders and their own horizons, that, that keep us blinkered, if you like, that keep us thinking parochially and, and, and in terms of our own tribe, our own nation, our own small world. So for example, if we were Jesus Jewish disciples, we would be pushed by the historical moment and, and Israel's cultural currents at the time flowing all around us to focus intensely on, on the very immediate and pressing political situation of, of how do we survive the Roman occupation and all the violence which goes along with it. The survival of our nation. It's not as if Jesus' disciples were, were sort of free from distraction and just selflessly focused on the nations. I mean, I know some famous works of art might depict them with sort of halos around their head, but but they were like us. So what are the forces in our cultural context that sort of direct our, our gaze and focuses our attentions on particular issues? I think that one major cultural force is the mass media and, and the social media platforms, I think are among the forces, strongest forces in our culture, which shape our concerns and, and together they sort of instruct us as to what we need to be thinking about and what we need to really care about and how we should feel about these things. Um, they, they have the effect and the power of amplifying some things, turning the volume right up and then on other things, turning the volume right down. Let me give you an example of how this works, which I think is tied directly to the well-being of the nations. We are now just over a year since this pandemic began. Um, I remember returning from France, having seen Julia's sister just in time before they closed the, the borders and stopped flights coming in from Europe. As we said a few weeks ago, it is hard to believe that a year has gone by already, but, uh, but you can go online and you see these visual timelines from what they're calling the day that changed everything, which is the 11th of March, I think they're pegging it at. But there is another anniversary in March, the 10th anniversary of American-led NATO forces beginning military intervention in Libya. America, by June 2012, along with NATO forces, had flown 4,963 air sorties over Libya, dropping hundreds of and hundreds of bombs. And they'd been arming militant Islamists to the teeth and, and providing them with air cover. I mean, we took a sledgehammer to their country and to their institutions, and their country has been at war ever since. Since then, foreign powers like France and Italy, supporting different sides, have helped to fuel and prolong the war, which is now in its 10th year. Recent fighting in Tripoli has led to the closure of an additional 13 health facilities 
I mean, we, we were worried, weren't we, about our health facilities being strained by COVID. More than half a million people are, in, are an estimated to be in critical need of medical care in Libya, and they've closed more hospitals. Just pause for a moment to imagine if it was you or your loved ones who are in need of medical care, but the hospitals are closed. 220 schools have closed, some completely destroyed, they've gone forever. I, I know parents are working around the clock right now to give their kids an education during this pandemic and, and, and different times they've had to wonder when, when will the schools open and, and sometimes they, they open and they close down again and they open up again. Well, many Libyan kids won't be going back to school anytime soon. Thousands of Libyans have been forced to flee from their homes many repeatedly. I mean, can you imagine having to flee from your own home, leaving all your belongings behind, flee for your life, not just once, not just twice, but over and over again. Last year saw around 177,000 people displaced from their homes because of fighting in different parts of the country, 10 years on. I think these people, if they had a choice between life being disrupted by a virus with all the risks involved, or life interrupted by a 10-year war with no end in sight, well, which would you choose in a heartbeat? As I said last year, Libya was the African nation's highest on, the African nation that was highest on the United Nations Development Index. It had the lowest infant mortality, the highest life expectancy, the highest GDP. At once it was the richest country in Africa. Now they're one of the poorest countries in Africa and they may never recover. And this is to say nothing of the other atrocities like the, like, like the proliferation of people trafficking, rape, and multiple slave markets that have appeared across the country where you can buy a slave from Africa for about $200. This is the 10th anniversary of a war which started when Western powers destabilized, not just the nation state, not just a, a geographical region, but destabilized the lives of people, of human beings. You would think, you would think that there would be an outcry over the 10 years of suffering resulting from the decisions made by our leaders to attack this nation. But as I said, the press decides what to repeat and what to amplify, what to turn the volume up on, all the way up on, and then what to turn the volume down on, how to frame things so that we notice some things and other things get entirely sort of pushed out and left out of the framing. Speaking of the nations, I'll tell you what they do amplify. For example, they amplified Donald Trump calling nations shithole countries. This is what is amplified. The volume is turned all the way up and it's repeated over and over and over again. Now, let's be clear. That is just a terrible way for a president to talk about another country, just terrible. But obviously this is perverse. The press is all shocked and disgusted and horrified, clutching their pearls and sanctimoniously condemning these terrible words in typical bourgeois fashion, so easily scandalized and almost always about the wrong thing so that the press says, hey, worry about this. Be outraged when someone refers to places as, as shithole countries, but, but don't bat an eyelid when we see our leaders walk in 
and turn these places into shithole countries. Look, it is going to be very, very difficult to be a blessing to the nations as long as we allow the corporate media to frame the nations for us. It's interesting. God calls Abraham to leave his people, leave his nation, and leave his father's household so that he can make Abraham a blessing to the nations. But that wasn't just a physical leaving behind. Anyone who has left home and anyone especially who has left their own culture and, and left their own country knows that there is this uh, emotional and, and massive sort of cultural upheaval. Oh, we leave behind a particular framing of the world to discover that the world looks very different through, through other people's eyes standing over here in some other part of the world. Oh, we may cling to our old ways, but we are acutely aware that suddenly our way of seeing is not the only way, and that our cultural norms have been confronted with something very different. Perhaps part of the work that we are being invited to do in, in, in order to be to bring the nations into view to to begin to acquire something of God's heart for the nations. Perhaps the work we have to do is in a, in a metaphorical sense to leave our country in a metaphorical sense to leave our people in a metaphorical sense to leave our father's household to, to go through that that sort of emotional and, and massive cultural upheaval involved in, in freeing our minds from the, the native home of, of the dominant media narratives, a, a massive force in our culture that, that, that controls and sort of directs our attentions and tells us, this is what you should care about, don't worry about this. This is what you should focus on, don't, don't listen to this. In fact, I'll turn the volume all the way down. We might want to begin by asking, what are the dominant narratives that have served to frame the devastation of American-led wars, the empire's wars, out of our own picture of the world? Because these wars and the devastation has sort of been framed out. What parts of state and corporate propaganda, which is generally what we get in the, the corporate mass media, what aspects of state and corporate propaganda have successfully diverted my attention over here so, so that I'm almost totally distracted and, and almost unaware of the, the truly grave situation over, the, over there. My hope is that as we relaunch Trinity Heights, this will become some of the work that we consciously engage in, something that we work on together on purpose. Of course, Today, I've just mentioned one nation, Libya, one particular intervention. That's all we've talked about this morning. And when we start to think about all the nations or, or even just all the nations that America and our, her allies have, have sort of helped to destabilize and the, and the havoc that that has wrought, it can seem really overwhelming. And yes, it is overwhelming. So, even if Abram leaves his country or we leave the, the sort of dominant narratives where we've sort of been comfortably living, what can Abram or what can we really do for the nations? But that's the thing, you see. 
This is not the story we are telling. This is the story God is telling. And so Abram is told, I will make you a blessing to the nations. I can't bless the nations. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. All the nations, that's just too overwhelming. It's an impossible task. But Abraham is not told, you will do this. But God says, I will do this through you. I will make you a blessing to the nations. God does not say to the prophet, you will establish justice for the nations. But he says, I will establish justice for the nations. When Jesus sends his disciples to the, all the nations, it, it's bracketed with these words. First of all, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then after sending them to the nations, he says, behold, I am with you always until the very end of the age. And in the scene in Revelation, it is all the nations with God. It's never us on our own. It is God's world, God's creation. It's his story. And we are being invited to partnership with him. It's about aligning our lives, our hearts, with the story that God is telling. Anything of this scale and magnitude must be faced with God. And the scale of this should drive us to prayer, drive us to our knees. So here's a suggestion for a place to start this week for this, this project, which seems so vast. Perhaps you can take a look at the countries where, where, we should, where America and Europe have been doing military intervention. The countries which have been hit the hardest, the victims of our war crimes. And perhaps we could start praying specifically for those nations. We can think about people like Celestin working in different eight different African nations, or of course, perhaps a great place to start right now because we're, we're so tied in closely uh, with Sasa would be to pray for Sasa and the situation in Myanmar. This is one of the ways that we can begin to align our hearts and start to reframe, don't allow someone else to frame the nations for us, but to allow the heart of God to frame the nations for us. The global perspective is work for all of us, and nothing in our culture is promoting this way of thinking. But as a church, we're going to work hard in the coming months and years to think in these global terms, to nurture God's heart for the nations in us. So let's begin with prayer. Amen.